0: You know, a couple of weeks ago we launched a series here at Oasis called Ecclesia. It's simply a Greek word which means congregation. And we're learning these days what it means to be a Jesus church. We've looked at some very interesting metaphors that Jesus and others in Scripture often use to describe His church. Things like uh, the bride and the bridegroom. Uh, Last week Robbie talked in such a great job about uh, the good shepherd and the flock. Today, we're going to look at a metaphor that Jesus himself used, and he's describing his followers. And I want to introduce it by kind of a way of a question today. Exactly what kind of life has Jesus called us to? In other words, when we talk about being a Christian church, living for Jesus, what in the world should we expect? Over the centuries, friends, literally thousands of very, very smart people have reflected on this question in an effort to find the true center of spiritual life. I'm going to read you just what one author has written about this pursuit. They say, The older I get, the more I'm convinced that the life Jesus called us to is much sweeter and significant than I was originally led to believe. When I hear people speak of their pursuit of the Christian life, I often wonder what it is that they are pursuing. In particular, I am perplexed by the sour, sullen, and lifeless souls ...that inhabit so many who identify themselves as followers of Jesus? Is it possible that we have run the race so fast and hard that we have surpassed our Savior? Surely this is not the abundant life He had in mind for us. Since we are still human beings, perhaps we must stop doing long enough to start being again. Maybe then we will find a life that is as sweet on the inside as it is on the outside." See, here's the deal, friend. Jesus has called us to a sweet life, a life that is characterized by ever-increasing growth and abundance. And it's a life that seeks to be more than it seeks to do. And this is a life that Scripture declares and describes as naturally occurring if we are connected to Him. According to the writers of Scripture, uh, when we are connected to Jesus, it produces fruit. And the fruit resembles the qualities that Jesus had. In fact, Paul talks about this in Galatians. This is a really familiar passage, I'm sure. And he says, Here's what it looks like if you're a follower of Jesus. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. What should we expect? This is what we should expect, friends. But in order to get there, we have to kind of realize where we are. So here's what I'd like you to do, if you don't mind. If you could pull out real quick a scratch piece of paper, maybe the back of the bulletin, uh, something you have around you, back of your hand, whatever you can find. Just going to number one through nine, real quick, one to nine. And I'm going to give you just a really quick list of these things. And I'm going to ask you to use a scale. It's going to be a real simple scale this morning. I want you to put an S down if you would say that you are strong in this dimension of life. If you feel like, honestly, that you're pretty strong here. Put an S. Put a P if you're pretty darn good, okay? Not strong, not, not great, but just pretty darn good. And then put an N if this quality needs improvement, okay? We're going to do this real quick. The first one is love. The question is, how tender is your heart toward God and people these days? Do you find yourself habitually extending love and acceptance to other people? Do you ever have a critical, judgmental, or prejudiced spirit in your heart? So here's the deal. Rate yourself real quick. Nobody's going to see these. We're not going to turn them in. S, P, or N. Second one, joy. What is your current irritability factor these days? If you're not sure, I promise you the person next to you will be glad to help you answer that question. Are you more inclined to speak words of compliment, gratitude, gratitude? or of complaint how often do you did you laugh this past week how much fun are you having these days are you able to choose joy even when things aren't going your way number 3 peace to what degree are your heart and mind at rest in god how consistently are you troubled and anxious would people know you who know you describe you as being discontented or content Where are you at on peace? Number four, patience. How do you respond when you don't get your way? Are you able to wait gracefully? How do you handle it when people aren't moving as quickly as you would like them to move? If you're already on number five, you need to put an in here, okay? (laughs) Number five, kindness. How inclined are you to lend someone a helping hand even though you're very busy or you know that you won't get any credit for it? How are you doing at encouraging and affirming other people? Do you consistently take time to notice people and listen to them? Number six, goodness. A lot of people interpret this as generosity. What portion of your time and your material resources are you actually giving? Listen, not thinking about giving, but actually giving to God, to the poor, to other people in your life. Do you find yourself wanting to give the least amount possible or the most that you can possibly give? Is your heart growing or shrinking these days? Where are you at on goodness? Number seven, faithfulness. Would people around you say that you are dependable? When you say you're going to do something, it gets done. And do you hang in there when the going gets tough? Do you ever wrestle with procrastination? Number eight, gentleness. How successfully do you speak the truth with grace? Do you ever get angry and inflict pain on someone just because it will feel good in the moment? Do you tend to blow up either, listen, inwardly or outwardly when things don't go your way? And then last but not least, number nine, self-control. Anybody here have bad habits? Ever given to an impulse? How are you doing these days with delayed gratification and waiting for something? Having self-control. Now, take a look just at the list that you have and see if you would define overall your life as being sweet right now. Now if you're like me and I did this list this past week, you're a little depressed right now. <laughs> I walked through these qualities of the spirit and I started feeling very inadequate. You know what I'm talking about? You see when we come to the fruit of the spirit, it is the core of the core of the spiritual life. This whole thing of spiritual formation. It's never been defined by Christian activities or knowing a lot of the Bible or piling up spiritual accomplishments. You remember the Pharisees, they did all that stuff, and Jesus said they missed it by a million miles. Our goal is to grow in authentic love and joy and peace and so on. That's the kind of people we want to produce, that's the kind of church we want to produce. But I have to tell you, I look at these qualities sometimes and I realize I violate some of these before I even get out of bed in the morning. So what we're going to spend some time talking about is looking at a couple of statements from the Bible. We're going to focus on them. They're not terribly common in our day. But they're very important for a church that wants to really follow Jesus and live out this life that he has called us to. One of these words Jesus talked about And another one, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about. And if we ever come to understand these two words in our Christian life, we will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the first one. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's the first word. The word is Abound. Now, we don't use this word a lot in our language today, but it was one of Paul's favorite words. And it meant to overflow, to be full, to be uh, excelling in something. It means to have tremendous energy for whatever God has put you on this earth to do. In fact, Paul says one time, whatever you do work, when you do work, do it with all your heart. Give it everything you have as if you were actually working for God, not human masters. And the idea here is that God gives everybody work to do. Listen, whether you get paid for it or not, whether you're a volunteer, you're retired, whether you work in an office or at a church or a school or at home or in a neighborhood. And part of how God has made you is to contribute and to create and to produce something in this world. Now, after the fall, when sin entered our world, the work fell under the curse. And then God said, you're going to have to labor by the sweat of your brow. Doing will be kind of frustrating at times. But work itself, this is very important, is what God does. Remember, God is a creator. He made us in His image. And God says over and over and over in Scripture, I want you to excel. I want you to abound. I want you to take the gifts and the talents that I have given you and I want you to develop them to your fullest potential. I want you to look inside of you and find your deepest passion and find where that meets the deepest need in my world. One of the things that I hope God will say one day is, I'm so glad you abounded in the work that I had for you. Don't you want to be that kind of person? So that's the first word, abound. There's another word, however, that's very important. And it's found in a statement that Jesus made to his followers. And this is kind of the theme verse today. John chapter 15. Jesus is talking and he says, Abide in me. Abide in me and I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man or woman abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit apart from me, You can do nothing. Now, Jesus uses a term here that everybody in his day would understand. He talks about the relationship he has with people as being like a vineyard. Jesus says, listen, I am the vine and you are the branches. And there's only one thing that a branch really is supposed to do. And the word is, here's the word, abide. From one moment to the next, just keep connected and receiving this unceasing flow of life and nourishment and love from God. And if we do that, friends, if we abide, the fruit is inevitable. I'm going to say that again. If you abide, fruit will just happen. In fact, you can't stop it. You'll have more fruit than you know what to do with. But if you don't abide, you can't become the person that God wants you to be. You'll never become that kind of person by just trying really, really hard. Abide is a very important word. We don't use it a lot in our day, obviously, but Jesus did. And some people have kind of translated that word to mean remain, to remain. It means to dwell with or to linger over. So when Jesus says that you're to abide with him, the idea is that we're always to be like living connected to him in this kind of intimate, ongoing, unhurried, peace-producing relationship. People talk about being centered in life or being deeply rooted in spirituality. That's what we're talking about here. This is part of why Paul uses the language that he does. Some of you know that over in Galatians where we read the fruit of the Spirit from, Paul does this marvelous thing about setting up a contrast. He says, on one hand, he says, listen, I don't want you to be characterized or marked by what he calls the works of the flesh. Remember that passage? And he lists some of them, immorality and envy and jealousy and that kind of thing. He says, don't be characterized by that. And then he turns around and he says, but I want you to be characterized. And most people who are reading that would think that he's going to say the works of the Spirit, right? Don't be characterized by the works of the flesh, but be characterized by the works of the Spirit. And he doesn't do that. Instead, (laughs) Paul says, be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. This is very important for us to know. Often in churches, and I've done this myself many years ago, I would talk about the fruits of the Spirit. There's nine of them that are listed there in Galatians. But if you look at Galatians 5, Paul doesn't say fruits. He just says singular fruit. And the reason he does that that, is he's not listing nine character qualities, friends, that you're supposed to exhaust yourself trying to figure out how to build up your character and your repertoire. He's saying this is the kind of fruit that is inevitable when you abide in me. So here's the good news. We all have one job as a church, and that's just to be with Jesus all the time. Just stay in the vine. Doesn't that sound so easy? Man, it sounds so easy. Man, yeah, I wish it were easy. You see, I want to abide with God. I want to abide with Jesus. I don't want to skim over life and just kind of hydroplane up and down, up and down emotionally. I want to experience life deeply and other people deeply. I want to be a really good dad. I want to be a really good spouse. So on one hand, I've got this thing. I want to abound in my life. I want to run the race. I want to give it everything I have. I want to throw myself into the work that God has for me. On the other hand, I want to abide. I want to listen. I want to love. I want to learn to be content. I'd like to be still and know that he is God. And I want to tell you, if there's any tension that I have found in following Jesus in my life, it is that tension between abounding and abiding. I want to say this. To do both of those well, it is the true, true, I think, essence of spiritual life. How can I abound with energy and passion and devotion and work? And then how can I abide with intimacy and depth and commitment? I want to try to help us with this for a moment. I just want to make some observations. If you want to jot these down, they're not very deep and profound, so you'll probably be able to remember them. If we're going to be the kind of vineyard that produces good fruit, then we have to understand a few things about this kind of life. The first observation is going to sound pretty simplistic, but it's real important. And that is this. When it comes to the tension between abounding and abiding, you better get used to it. It is not going away anytime soon. In fact, anybody here want to guess when it's going to go away? Yeah. When you die. Jesus had this his entire life. He gets baptized. He gets ready to start his work, his mission. The Holy Spirit kind of sends him out into the desert to spend 40 days and nights along with God. He's fasting and praying in solitude. He has him go and abide and then he sends him on his mission. And he begins his work and soon people are flocking to him. And the Bible says they come from all over the region and it's draining on him. So one day, one day, Mark's gospel records this. The very first chapter of Mark says one day early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house where he was staying, and went to a solitary place where he prayed along. And what Jesus was doing is he was abiding. And he does that for a while, and pretty soon one of the disciples, Peter, comes and says to him, Hey, man, where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. You turn your cell phone off? Haven't answered an email in three days? I mean, we don't have an electronic leash we can put on you. How are we supposed to find you? And it's very interesting. Jesus doesn't say, Hey, Peter, leave me alone, man. I'm abiding. Jesus says, Okay. Let's go to another town. (laughs) I got to teach again. And he chooses to abound for a while longer. And his whole life is this rhythm of abounding and abiding. Abounding and abiding. And here's the deal. The tension in our life is not going to get any easier. Here's another observation. Abiding in Jesus, I believe, has never been harder because of the nature of the world in which we now live. Juliet Shores wrote a book a while back called The Overworked American. And it evoked uh, kind of, uh, and provoked a lot of discussion about the role of work in contemporary American life. And one of the thesis statements in her book is that in the last few decades, the average U.S. worker, think about this now, has added the equivalent of one month to their work year. A lot of research behind this. And she says that the average American worker has added over 160 hours, over a month of work to their year in the last two decades. A sociologist named Arlie Hochschild found that the typical average husband and wife couple spend a combined 90 hours a week on the job. Listen, that's outside the home. Then you have to get all the stuff done at home. And she writes that the average husband actually spends more time doing work around the house than the average wife does. I made that up, actually. I just put that in there. (laughs) I just got to make sure you're still with me. All right? She did not write that. Some of you are like, no, that can't be true. (laughs) It's not true, believe me. (laughs) And I mention this because people are kind of drifting into very destructive patterns. A remarkable doctor by the name of Meyer Friedman, he developed the research behind the A-type personality. And you probably know who you are if you have that personality. He's a guy who coined the phrase hurry sickness. He was a very interesting guy. He had a career as a cardiologist. He worked with heart patients. And one of the ways that he and his partner discovered the type A personality is very interesting. Oddly enough, they contracted with an upholsterer to come in and do some upholstery work in their office. And the upholsterer commented to them and said, listen, there's a very unusual pattern on your chairs in your waiting room. And the upholsterer noticed that while the fabric everywhere else on the chair was like brand new, the fabric on the edge of the seats was completely frayed. And what Freeman realized is that people hated waiting in his office so much that they were so addicted to hurry, these type A personalities, that they would literally sit on the edge of their seats in the waiting room. And it destroyed his chairs. More importantly, it destroyed their hearts. It was killing them, literally. This has become a massive problem in our society. Richard Swanson writes that we are so addicted to speed that even our language today reflects the constant preoccupation. He says, in our day, our language is marked by phrases like time crunch, fast food, rush hour, frequent flyer, rapid transit. He writes, we send packages by FedEx, use a long-distance company named Sprint. Our bills are done with Quicken. We diet with SlimFast, and we swim in trunks made by Speedo. (laughs) And here's the problem. In our society, not only do we live with this kind of stuff, here's the deal. We not only tolerate it, we actually glorify it. Be honest. If somebody says, man, I've been working so hard. I mean, I've been working my fingers through the bone. I'm so exhausted. Listen, the first thing you probably think of is, man, they're a hard worker. Good for you, man. You've been working hard. Somebody come to you and they would say, hey, man, I've just been taking it easy, relaxing, chilling out. I didn't do a lot of stuff this week. See, I, I validate my existence if I lead an exhausting, insanely paced life. Listen, there is nowhere that this is more prevalent than Christians who are supposed to be abiding with Jesus. And here's what I want us to understand. If you miss anything else I said today, I hope you'll hear this. You can do a lot of things, and you can do a lot of things in a hurry, but you cannot abide with Jesus in a hurry. You will never produce fruit in a hurry. It takes time, and it takes living with a rhythm in your life. And here's the good news, and this is awesome news. Jesus desires to abide with you even more than you desire to abide with Jesus. Let me tell you how much Jesus wants to be with you. It is a remarkable statement. Same chapter, chapter 15, the book of John. Jesus says this, as my Father has loved me. Now listen, how much do you think the Father loves Jesus? How much do you think? A little bit maybe? Just a little bit. As my Father has loved me, I love you. Now remain in my love. I want to tell you something. If you do nothing else on a Sunday morning when you come into this room, I hope you always remember how much Jesus loves you. I don't care how badly you've blown it this week. I don't care how much you've sinned. No matter how inadequate you feel, the way the Father loves the Son, that's the way that Jesus loves you. I was on a plane one time coming home from Knoxville, Tennessee. There was a guy sitting right next to me on the plane. And the screensaver that was up on his computer was a picture of a little toehead, little blonde, little boy, his son. And I asked him, I said, is that your son? And he started talking. This was his only kid, his son, Jake. And the picture on the screen was taken when Jake was 11 months old. He had since turned about 14 months old. And he told me with a sense of wonder about his son's first step, his first word. It was like Jake had invented walking and talking. There was actually a more recent picture available on the man's smartphone, so he took it out and he showed that to me as well. And that same picture could be viewed more clearly on his laptop, so he took that out and he showed me in a clear resolution. And he had a whole string of pictures about Jake doing stuff. Children, you know, just stuff that children did. He showed them not only to me, but the people around us in the section. We got a graduate course in Jakeology. (laughs) He said, I can't wait to get home to my boy. I can look at these pictures all day long. They never get old to me. Even though they were getting quite old to the rest of us on the plane. (laughs) Now, here's the deal. Why is this guy so preoccupied with Jake? Listen, was it because his boy's achievements were so impressive and unprecedented? No. My children had done the same thing at an earlier age and with superior skill. (laughs) Listen, he was preoccupied with Jake because he looked at Jake through the eyes of a father, a parent. And everything that little dude did was cloaked with wonder. So it didn't matter that other children did them well. I said, you obviously miss your son. I said, how long have you been away from him? Listen to this. I thought the guy had been gone for like weeks. He said, oh, I'm just leaving today. (laughs) One day. I want to tell you what I think about this thing of abiding. It hit me that you and I are kind of like children on God's screensaver. Listen to me. You are the child on God's screensaver. And I want you to let that sink in. Every detail of your life never grows old to God. This is why your prayers are precious to Him. This is why God is filled with delight and wonder at your faltering steps and your stammering words. Listen, not because you do them so well, because to be honest, we don't do them all well. Because he views you through the eyes of a loving father. I just imagine God saying, Hey, angels, come here. I'm going to show you pictures of my kids. And the story of the Bible is a story of a father rushing to be at home with his kids. Here's the most frequent promise in the Bible it is not eternal life, it is not forgiveness of sins, although those are really good. The most frequent promise in the Bible is Jesus, our God, saying, I'm going to be with you. Yea, thou walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Fear no evil, for I am with you. All throughout the Bible, Adam and Eve, Enoch, David, Moses, Noah, Paul, Mary. Jesus comes to this earth. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. And Jesus says, just be with me. And this is a very cool thing in this passage from John 15. It actually talks about fruit. This is an awesome parallel to me. Now remember, what are the first three elements of the fruit of the Spirit? Remember we said love, joy, and peace. Now look what he does in John 15. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Whose love are we to remain in? Jesus' love. Two verses later, I have told you these things so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Whose joy are we supposed to live in? Jesus. Chapter 14, just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, Peace I leave you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. See, whose peace are we supposed to live in? Right. I know this is a challenge So let me kind of end with this. When you're trying to connect with Jesus, it does not mean doing a lot of new activities really hard. It means doing the stuff you're already doing, but learning to do them with Jesus. Does this make sense? You are already on the vine, friends. You don't have to do something to get on the vine. And if you abide, fruit comes. So here's what it looks like, and we'll close with this. Tomorrow you're going to wake up, I hope. <laughs> okay? I hope everybody does. And there are two kinds of people in the world, and we know this. There are people who love to wake up, and there are people who hate the people who love to wake up. <laughs> right? So tomorrow morning, here's the deal. When you wake up, just wake up with Jesus. Listen, the spiritual moments you have in the morning, in the first hour, may be some of the most important moments you have all day. Because you can be overwhelmed, you can be burdened, you can think about all the things you have to do, remember, abounding. But if you just get alone for just a moment and just say, you know, Jesus, you're right here with me. Maybe it's in the shower, maybe it's while you're getting dressed, maybe it's a moment of devotion, a pause in your day. If you do that, then you're abiding. Listen, some of you read the paper every day. Some of you browse the internet first thing in the morning. Listen, go ahead and keep doing it, but just do it with Jesus. Listen, when you woke up this morning and you went to the internet page and it said that 20 people had been killed in Orlando, shot. Does that trouble you? Talk to him about it. Talk to him about it and say, God, what can I do to make this world a better place? What can I do to pray and to hopefully encourage and and help these families? Listen, when you get in your car to go to school or work, what would it look like if you were to drive with Jesus? Well, for me, I'd probably slow down a little bit, right? (laughs) Listen, would you speak differently to the people beside you? What would it look like if you were to drive abiding with Jesus? Listen, you're going to go to work probably, whether it's in the home or outside the home. But instead of getting panicky or worried or overwhelmed, just pause for a moment and say, God, we're going back to work today. Give me strength. Give me patience. When you're talking on the phone to the customer, if you're in customer service, listen, don't think of them as just a number or just a, you know, a customer. Think of them as a person created in the image of God. When you got to come home and you got to do the re-entry deal and you've got to put all that stuff behind you, say, God, right before you walk in the door, just say, Lord, I want to abide with you in this moment. Help me reconnect with my kids, my spouse, my family. And listen, when you go to bed at night, you're going to go to bed anyway, just take a moment and look back over your day and say, God, I saw you there and I saw you there and I abided with you over there. And here's the great part. When you fail, and believe me, you will fail, the next moment, the very next moment is a chance just to abide with Him. Let's pray. Lord, we're just going to do that for a moment here this morning Um, without any words. Uh, without any um, more sermon material, without any more coaxing. We're going to take a few moments here at the end of our time together to just abide in you. I'm sure we've got all kinds of stuff on our list for this afternoon or tomorrow. But right now, Father, we just put down our, our, our schedule and our cell phones and our our busyness and our abounding, and we just are going to abide for a moment. So Jesus, would you remind us how much you love us? Jesus, would you remind us that we really are the screensaver on the Father's computer? And as we abide in that, in that truth, May fruit just start flowing out of that connection. I pray that now as we abide in you.